to say yes sir and then the bible goes on to say eh eh if you are obedient you are calling the bible ala ba shake bredo sokolo hey hallelujah ah no let's do this thing give me first peter chapter 3 i feel the anointing to teach this thing reason I'm, uh, I'm still trying to figure out like i mentioned <clears throat> the judgment seat of christ is um the doctrine of judgment is one of my favorite topics and i'm still trying to figure out why but it's just one of those topics which excite me and we're going to start looking at it um just now shall we pray Father in the name of Jesus we are grateful for this opportunity you've given us to delve into your word and learn your mysteries and become better human beings and better Christians. We ask my Father that you may grant unto us the spirit of understanding that um, that um, that the word that we are going to receive a seed would become good ground of it uh, thereby producing uh, much fruit and more fruit. that will last we are grateful my father in jesus mighty name we have prayed as every child of god present says amen and so the starting point is the book of hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 which says therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of christ let us go on to perfection therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of christ let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward god and of the doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands of of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment and of eternal judgment so when i study the bible i discover that the context and the spirit with which paul wrote the first portion of hebrews chapter 6 was a context of encouraging believers to leave doctrinal teachings and not just dwell there but to grow from those things to get into perfection and perfection here is to be established and to understand these things very well without going through those topics over and over and over again There are some things which you should know at a, at the snap of a finger you should know them without without struggling a lot because they are fundamental if you are a christian there are certain things that i expected of you 
There are certain things that we expect that you should know if you're a Christian. And these are things that were discussed by Paul. And they range from what they call the fundamental or the foundational teachings of the Christian faith. And these foundational teachings of the Christian faith are basically six. And they are mentioned here. Yeah. So I said the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith or the foundational teachings of the Christian faith are listed in Hebrews chapter 6. And we are all expected to know them at some point because they are some of the measures of not, not, not so much spiritual growth, but establishment in the Christian faith. For you to call yourself a Christian, there are things that you should know really from Paul's viewpoint. There are things that you must know, and he mentions some of them, all right? Now, among those things he talks about is the doctrine of eternal judgment. Now, the doctrine of eternal judgment, it means also these are things that you should believe in as a Christian. So, as Christians, we also believe in judgment in eternity, meaning this judgment in eternity is going to determine a number of things in the life to come. Praise God. It's going to determine a number of things. So you should know. How is it going to be when we meet the Lord Jesus? What kind of judgment am I going to have? Right? Now, I want us to look at the book, and I want you to keep these scriptures because I'm building it. I want you to look at Romans chapter 14. The book of Romans chapter 14. Verse 10. Maybe I'll read. I'll read from verse 9. For to this end Christ died and rose again. Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is powerful. When, let me just quickly give you a thought. When the Bible says that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead, he's not trying to tell you that only, he's not only trying to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord over all those that have died. He's trying to tell you that he is Lord also over those that are not born again. Because they are dead. When the Bible says he is Lord of both the dead and the living, he's not saying that he might be Lord of both the lifeless and the living. No, he says the dead. So the Bible says, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you believe with your heart, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. Now, at the point at which the gospel is preached to you and you believe, your confession is only an expression of belief and not a coronation of Jesus Christ as Lord. He was already Lord, except now you are beginning to recognize him as Lord. 
It's like discovering that your blood group is O. That's not when you become O. You are already O. And you could do certain things. You just discovered. It doesn't help the blood group. It's you. It helps. So in the same way, Jesus was already Lord over you in any case. <laughs> so those who don't believe in Jesus are like people who don't believe in the president. No matter what, he's still your president because he's in power. So discovery is not coronation. It's not installation. It's not ordination. It's simply awareness of what you didn't know. So when the Bible says, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. He's talking about, you see, the Lordship of Jesus touches everything. Mark my words. It touches everything, even stones. <laughs> even stones. Even bacteria, germs, kidneys, eyes, blood. The Bible says he was given a name above every other name. That name is above things in heaven, things on earth and things under the earth. Things. A job is a thing. A sickness is a thing. A relationship is a thing. Everything recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why he said, go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't miss his words, neither did he means them. Creature. Creature. It's, he didn't say human beings. Why? Because everything has been designed to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, this discovery is of utmost importance. And when you discover it, you meditate on it. You will notice that when you force the Lordship of Jesus on anything except human beings, it will bow. It will yield. It could be an exam. Now, that's important. The Bible also says, when Jesus was appearing to John, he says to him, I was dead and now I'm alive and I have keys over death and hell. He was trying to say keys are symbolic of authority. Sometimes I hear spirits calling themselves the spirit of death. <laughs> they don't know. They have nothing to fear. The one who has power over all of those is Jesus. That's why the Bible says he came to save those who had the fear of death. Even over death, he is Lord. He has keys to it. Hallelujah. Everything responds to Jesus. The things that are dead respond to him and the things that are alive, including the things that are lifeless. <laughs> Praise God. So he goes on to say, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt? 
for your brother. Then he says, for we shall all stand before the, mark that word, judgment seat of Christ. This is important for every minister of the gospel, whether pastor or anyone. Okay, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody say the judgment seat of Christ. All right. I want us to move a little further and go um, one of my favorite scriptures. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians. Mark that word judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be of cosmic value to our study today. Second Corinthians chapter 5. All right. Excellent. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's try. Okay, let's start from here. From verse 1. I'm going to read it. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, meaning our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this body that is grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. In other words, he was saying, we who have this body would actually rather we didn't die, but that would be changed, would be translated. So he says now, going, going on, we are confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So I want you to know that in your body, you are at home. <laughs> in your body, you are at home. In case you want to run away to go to heaven. Oh, yeah. So you hate this word, but the Bible says you are at home in your body. <laughs> okay, I'll come back to this issue. I'll tell you why I'm laughing. All right. So we're always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. This is why, you see, I'll tell you something. This is why Satan wants you dead so much. Because, see, demons don't like the fact that you have your body. That's a home. They're jealous. So they want you to, to allow them to be sitting tenants. 
All right, let's go. Then it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, he says in verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Huh? Are you seeing that judgment of seat, seat of Christ coming back again? Remember you underlined it earlier. That judgment seat of Christ is coming back again. Right? Now let's read a little further. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. Now, this is serious. Whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your consciences. So, he says, we must all appear before. We must. Now, Paul says we. He didn't say Everyone must appear. He says we. He's talking about believers. Write this down. The judgment seat of Christ is for members of the body of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for members of the body of Christ. That's why it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's not for everyone. <laughs> the judgment seat of Christ is for members of the body of Christ. So, those who are members of the body of Christ will have their own special judgment, which will be happening at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what kind of judgment? will be happening at the judgment seat of Christ. You see, when, when people die physically, when a believer dies physically, let me put it this way, believers experience two dimensions of judgment. Write that down. There are two dimensions of judgment that every believer experiences. The first one is salvation. The Bible says, having been justified by faith, we are at peace with God. That word justified also means justice has been meted out against us. It means judgment has been meted out, meted out against us, in, in this case for us. So the moment you give your life to Christ, you are judged and you are justified by the sacrifice through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. That's a judgment. Meaning, you are backdated to the cross. The time that Jesus Christ died, that judgment that Jesus Christ experienced, according to Romans, when he died, we died with him. When he resurrected, we resurrected with him. 
the, the Bible says the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his stripes were healed. So that kind of death that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross is what is known as a substitutionary death. That means the world through him was being punished for all their sins or the world or Jesus was being punished on behalf of the world for the sin of the world. That's why John calls him the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, sin cannot be taken away unless it is punished. And the Bible says, the soul that sins is the one that shall die. So the reason why Jesus Christ died was not because he was diable, because he was without sin. But the Bible says, he made him who knew no sin, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. See that? He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So the fact that he was made sin qualified him for death. Now that death was not supposed to be his death. That death was our death, but he was dying that death on our behalf. And then the Bible says, he, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So there was a divine exchange that was occurring there. Our sin, our disobedience, the disobedience of Adam was going upon him. That's judgment. We were being judged there. When we believe in him, we are backdated to the cross and the Bible says that, <clears throat> that whosoever believes in him <clears throat> will not perish but have everlasting. Are you following? So that's the first dimension of judgment that every Christian, it's heavy. And I'll tell you something, you know, when you look at what happens for a person to move from death to life through the death of Jesus Christ, listen to this. It is more difficult to be saved than to be healed. It is more difficult to be saved than to be made prosperous. It is more difficult to be saved because of the procedure that went in there. It's, more com it's a complex issue. But people think salvation is easy and these other things are straightforward. No. Are you following me? But I'm not delve so much into that. So that's the first dimension of judgment that every person is supposed to experience. So you were judged when Christ was judged. In him you were judged. And the judgment is that you've been declared righteous. That's the judgment. If I win a case in court, it means I've been judged. Some people judge, they think, they think when a person has been judged, it simply means they've been negatively treated. No. A judgment can be in your favor. <laughs> Someone almost wants to type out, I am some people. But you've been delivered, amen, praise God. So you can be judged. It, judgment can be passed in your favor. So that's the first judgment. Now, the second judgment is what we're discussing as the judgment seat of Christ. 
Now, the moment that a Christian passes on, whether they've been translated, because I believe not everyone in this generation will die. Some people will just be translated. Now, and some people will be immortal until Jesus Christ comes. Now, if a person moves from death to life, now I'll teach you why I believe that. I'll explain it to you. I'll teach you the doctrine of immortality, but not today. All right? Hebrews chapter number 9. For those who die, but I'm going to read it in a very interesting manner. Are you following this? These are things you shouldn't doze. If you are dozing, you stand. It's not okay to miss this teaching. It's not cool. Trust me, there are those things you say it's okay. It's this one. It's not okay. Let me sound like a Zambian. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. The Bible says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. All right? So he's basically saying, as it is appointed for men to die once. As it is appointed for men to die once. Now, he's trying to tell you that because of the sin of Adam, because it was, listen to this, it was not God's original intention for men to die at all. No. But because of the sin of Adam, the Bible says sin leads to death. Excuse me. So that sin already appoints people to death. But he says it is appointed for men to die once. And afterwards judgment. That means, for example, for those who die the physical death, whether Christian or non-Christian, immediately afterwards judgment happens the same way it was for Christ because this is in comparison to Christ. The same way that Jesus Christ died. And the moment that he died, he went into hell, that's judgment. And then immediately afterwards, he went up to heaven to present his blood and his case before the Father. And he was at, his sacrifice was accepted. It is the same way that the moment a person dies, let me clear something. People don't go to a certain place to be kept. They don't go to a certain place to be kept. No. It's a purgatory. Where People don't go somewhere to be kept. Where they are waiting to come out if we pray for them enough. It means, listen, by the spirit of the gospel, it means that our prayers can save people who didn't believe in Jesus. That's that the the teaching of purgatory insinuates and suggests that if we can pray for the for the departed spirits, that maybe God could have mercy on them and save them. It means that 
There has to be scriptures in the Bible that permit for an alternative mode of salvation apart from faith in Jesus. But the Bible says, I am, Jesus said in John, in, in the book of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's number one. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus was saying that, let me just highlight something. All the saints, the apostles were there. So even then they know that I can't pray for a person who's dead. It's only Jesus who can save people. One. Two, Mary was there. Mary was following Jesus. Even she knew <laughs> that only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's number one. Now, can a person believe in Jesus in death? No. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, it is for those on earth should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me give you now a very practical issue in the scriptures. The Bible tells us of the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember that the rich man in hell, he lifted his eyes and he began to see Lazarus and he began to see Abraham and he cried in torment. I can imagine he was begging to be saved because among other things he was begging for was water to be put on the fingertip of, 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 of Lazarus so that it can be put on his tongue. And he was told, there's, there's nothing we can do for you. I'm sure he promised to believe to be a better man, but nothing could be done for him. And he said, okay, is there a way that we could preach, I could be sent and I can go to my brothers and preach to them so that they don't come here? Guess what he was told? He says, we none of us here can go there to preach. He says, the guys who are there, the guys who are there, the Moses and the prophets, the Daniel, they are the ones who have to preach. If then Daniel can preach and they are not listened to, it means even you from hell, you can't go there and preach and they listen to you. In other words, for those who are dead, their opportunity to preach the gospel is gone and their opportunity to get saved is gone. Because that guy, imagine if he was offered an opportunity to be saved. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't, he, I mean, he wanted to go to Abraham's bosom, but he was told you can't. There's a chasm, a chasm between us and you. Those who are that side cannot come here. And those that are here cannot come that side. In other words, it's over. When you cross that physical death issue and there's no one with enough faith to command your spirit back into your soul, it's over. It's over. Are you following me? Mm. <laughs> Now, what I believe is this, that when people die and they believed in the Lord Jesus, I believe their levels of glory are not the same. I believe that the intensity of God's glory would depend, number one, on their service, And number two, 
on their maturity in the word of God. Their maturity in the word of God. Their maturity in the word of God. In their walk with Christ. To what extent they mature. I'll give you an example. Some of, some of the teachings, I'll base them on the scriptures. Some of them, I'll base them on my personal experiences. One time, I was, um, I was taken into this encounter where I was taken to this building where I found a lot of a lot of a lot of babies it looked like a normal office but it looked too clean and too nice to be a normal office and then suddenly doors were open to a place where i found a lot of babies and i can i can feel it even in my spirit right now they ranged between the age zero to five years old and most of these kids most of these kids the I saw they were being taught. They were being taught different instruments. They were being taught the word of God. I saw instruments I've never seen before. And then I was told that these children, these children, some of them died young, and some of them were rejected by the earth. That means they, they were aborted. But when... When earth rejects babies, heaven does not reject them. When babies die, God receives them back. But even there, they are being taught the word of God. They are being taught the mysteries of God. They are being taught the mysteries of God. And the intensity of their glory begins to, to change. I don't know how it's done, but their glory as they learn. So even, even like... By the mercies of God, even people can get saved on their deathbed. But when they go to heaven, they may not immediately be at a certain place. They may not experience a certain kind of glory. Now, it's not like people are going to be jealous. No, that thing is not there in heaven. Because you are taught the word of God. So before you are taught the spirit of the fruit of the spirit and it's almost like it's imparted in your spirit because you can't go there with jealousy and sin you can't so it's not like the way it is here where like when someone is shining in ministry we say oh lord all about me no there you can know that my rank is different from that person's but you are so happy you are content and you're doing just fine now let me give you a, a scripture example in Daniel's vision, he said, in Daniel's vision, he said, and those who, those who, those who were wise, were shining, those who were wise, those who were wise, were shining like the firmament, that's to mean the skies, right? And then he says, and those who won many to righteousness were shining like the stars. Daniel said that in his vision. Now, I believe he was looking 
at the afterlife. He was looking at judgment day. Now, see already there that the glories differed. Because those who were leading many to righteousness, those who were leading many to righteousness, had a different kind of glory from those who were wise. That's what Daniel says. Those who were leading many to righteousness had a different glory from those who were wise. Why? Because soul winning is God's number one job. Soul winning is God's number one job. He says, go into the world and, miss the, and, and preach the gospel. So, now, let me explain something. Why are the glories different in this category? It is because the skies do not have a glory of their own. The glory that the glory of the sky is the glory of the stars. Are you seeing that? So the stars like the sun the sun has its own it produces its own glory. That is to mean that the glory of the sun is greater than the glory of the heavens or the glory of the moon is lesser than the glory of the sun because the sun is a self light producing body what do you call them and then the moon isn't so for the moon to shine it has to reflect light from the sun are you following me and you're already being told that our glories would differ so our glories would differ in what ways number one in service we serve god differently we serve god differently and the Bible says, some will shine like the heavens, but others will shine like the stars. And one of the stars is the sun. So service will distinguish us. Service will distinguish us. This thing that people do, where they are so lazy and they lack excellence. Can you imagine? I could be thinking throughout the week, what am I going to preach to people? Then someone from the media department or whichever department, oh, you have book after. I have changed. Nothing. Absolutely no thought to it, and you think we'll be equal in the life to come. You are joking. We can't be equal. It's not possible. Someone, every time they talk about giving, they are they, they only hear about giving in the moment that partnership comes up. They don't think about it through the week or through the month. No, it doesn't bother them. Can you imagine? Someone can sit and they can say, Me, I'm a student, I don't make money. So during partnership, they are not bothered. And they think that somehow, somehow one of these days, when they just meet, they will just uh, shine in the heavens. <laughs> hey! Aligues Condilio. You can find this deacon. This deacon is every time imagine someone is a deacon. Now I'm not saying we have a problem with deacons like that. Some of these positions you envy, it's better sometimes you're just a sister. 
There are some people this time they call themselves Bishop, Apostle, Doctor, so and so. When we check in heaven, in the books of heaven, we find they are not even among the brethren. <laughs> Sometimes, don't say, I even knew when are they going to appoint me. Just save God. Whilst you are sister so and so, just save God. Just save God diligently. Remember what he said. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful deacon. Well done, good and faithful apostle. Well done, good and faithful bus coordinator. No. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Focus on serving God effectively. So you find this deacon. I'm just giving an example. This deacon, the way they serve, it even seems grudgingly. And then, do you honestly think you're going to rub shoulders? When you meet the deacons of old, you meet, you meet Philip. How are you going to explain yourself to Philip? When they say, oh, the deacons sit here, are you sure you're going to say, oh, Philip, I joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sit down, comedian. So, some things need to change about the way we serve. That's one way. Number two, the I, I told you that one of the ways in which we are going to be rewarded, our glories will differ, is in the word of God. Our maturity in the word of God. Why? The Bible says in the book of Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. And the Bible says, the entrance of your word bringeth light. So the amount of the word of God we have received and we have embodied and we have made part of ourselves will determine the, the glory that we will, will see of ourselves. Because you see, the Bible also says, Husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, cleansing her, washing her with the water of the word. So the word already, one of the, the things that the word of God does is that it sanctifies, it makes clean, it makes pretty. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 15, you have been made clean by the word of God that you have heard me say. So already the word of God has got a cleaning effect it's got a brightening effect. So when you now begin to keep it in your heart, the Bible says, your word have I kept in my heart, Psalm 119 says, your word have I kept in my heart that I may not sin against you. So something happens to the brightness of the spirit of a man when they walk in the word, when they keep the word of God. When they meditate the word of God, something happens to them. And in the life to come, it will show. Right? <laughs> now remember that the scripture that we had read earlier, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, said that we might receive a reward for what we did now, underline the word in the body. You people, you will not be judged for what you did as a spirit before you were born. <laughs> You'll be judged for what you did in the body. Meaning, what qualifies you for judgment is access to a body. 
So the fact that God has given us a body is what qualifies us for judgment. And the judgment that we are going to experience in the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for what we did whilst we had our bodies on the earth. That judgment for every Christian happens immediately you pass from this life to the life to come. Or immediately you lose your body. If you have such plans, the moment you fulfill them and you are still a Christian, you meet God for judgment. Meet God for judgment. Are you here? It's what you did in the body. So, bodies, the bodies that we have, are for us to do something with them so that we can be judged in our favor. Are you following me? Remember what I told you about judgment? Mm -hmm. What we did in our bodies. Now, I want us to get closer in looking at the judgment seat of Christ by going to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. You know, pe people look down on what their service can do. People look down on what their money can do. You, you don't know. You can give, say, a 5,000, a 10,000, a 200 quarter, a 50 quarter. And when we use it for church, it will even be forgotten. But God doesn't forget. Please, don't, don't make no mistake about it. Your FD may forget, your zonal pastor may forget, the pastor may never hear of it, but God does not forget. And every time we do the work of God, whether in giving, whether in serving, God does not forget. Hallelujah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse. Um, 13, 12 perhaps for context. It says, now if anyone builds on this foundation, that's the foundation of Christ, with gold, in fact, let me begin from verse 11. It says, no foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus is our foundation and he is our pedestal for all the works that we build. So we build on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one upon which. And the, 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 the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says in Matthew 16, it says, You are Peter. And on this foundation and on this rock, this foundation, what's that rock? The revelation of Christ as the son of the living God says, I will build my church. So we are all just building on, one, on the foundation that Jesus Christ laid. Now, he begins to mention the material with which we build. And he mentions it in esoteric language. He's speaking metaphorically. And he says, it, it says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, see that? He's not talking about literal gold. He's talking about the quality of the work. He's talking about the quality of the work. And the value of the work. 
He says, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, then there are some who build with wood. Some build with clay. Are you seeing that? Can you imagine your friend is building with gold? Then you build with wood and clay. We are all building on Jesus Christ, but some are building with gold. This is why don't say, listen, don't say, at least for me, at least for me, I can't be compared with those people because at least for me, I do this every Sunday. Don't. You can't be discouraged by people who, yes, they do work once in a while, but they are building with sand. They are building with hay. They are building with straw. There are some people who say, who, when they go to church, when they go to church for at least that Sunday, then they have stopped going to church for the next five weeks because they are full. They are building with chaff. Somebody said, me, I'm too consistent, but I'm just as busy as the other people. And the other people are not even told anything. Yet me, I just miss just one Sunday. And oh, heaven breaks loose in a disciplinary sense. Why are you comparing yourself to people who are building? Nemi Sanse. No. Don't worry. Just keep building on God. One day, there will be a difference between you and them. Even when you are giving, don't complain. When you give, whether you are going to give a lot more, and you look at your friends, you know they've got a lot of money. You know they can give more than you, but you are pushing the work in your, in your department. When, the, when it comes to giving in your zone, you are pushing the There are people who can do more. <laughs> Don't worry. One day it will show. Sometimes you find you are more tolerant than your friends. There are some of your friends who are too judgmental. They are upset. They are angry. Yet it seems you are the one who is always apologizing and you are saying, you know, when I look at what Jesus forgave us from in your heart, you are building on a certain foundation. Don't be discouraged. One day, one day, we'll all be saved, as you will see. We'll all be saved. <laughs> the difference will show. Look at that. The Bible says each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, with silver, with precious stones, but some build with wood, others with hay, others with straw, all he says is, don't worry, each work will become clear, because there is a day that is coming which is going to, to, to make it clear. Let me show you something before we go back to First Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me quickly show you something from the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse um, 19. It says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God, are you seeing that foundation issue is coming up? 
Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone whose name, who, who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Okay. Uh, then he says the following. He says, but, in other words, he's saying some people will not depart from iniquity. Now, he didn't say sin here. He says iniquity. Let me explain that. You know, although the words are interchanged and they are interchangeable, the word iniquity more technically means repeated wrong. Repeated wrong. It's like an entrenched and inside repeated wrong. It may not be a sin, but it's a repeated wrong. Of Satan, it says this. Let me let me get let me let me just help you understand. Uh, from the book of Ezekiel. From the book of Ezekiel. Do you love the word of God? Then from the book of Ezekiel, chapter twenty-eight. I'm gonna read verse eleven. And the Bible says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the cedars, the topaz, and all those things. They were created in you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth from the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways. Till iniquity was found in you. Are you seeing that? Mark the word iniquity. It's used there. Then it says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you. Now, I'm going to explain something here. The point at which Satan was cast out was the moment that he sinned. Not the moment was when iniquity was found in him. <laughs> Let me explain. So iniquity is repeated wrongdoing. It means that there were a number of wrong things that the devil was doing over a long period of time. But it seems God was ignoring it. But there was a point that, that, it, that iniquity filled him with violence and he ended up sinning. What was the sin? <laughs> the sin was now wanting to overthrow God. But the abundance, when we start looking at demonology, you will see 